0: for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered Communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. All right, friends. Well, um, like I said, longtime friend of Mosaic, uh, Drew Tarwater. He is a lead pastor at. Forefront Church, which if you're familiar with the area, that's over in the Harvey Park area. Now, Forefront was actually planted by Mosaic, formerly The Rock, back in 2009. And uh, Drew has been shepherding that congregation for a while now and is here today with us again. Um, Something important you need to know about Drew. So we all know those types of people. Nobody in this room. But some of those people that they can walk into a room and suck the air out of it, right, and just uh, pull the life out of it. Drew is the exact opposite of that. He walks into a room and he brings joy with him. And it's, it's real. It's the kind of joy that only comes from a person who has a firm grasp of their salvation and what it costs. And it just permeates his life. And it, it's infectious. And it, you just catch it when you're in the room with Drew. And so I'm so excited to welcome Drew back to our stage. Thank you, Drew, for being here. Give him a hand, would you?
1: Thanks, Kirk. I appreciate it. Good morning, Mosaic. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to be with you guys. It's always a a pleasure to be here with you guys. I I tell you, I I love your your team here. Kirk, thanks for the update on uh, Jeff and and Leslie and Garrett and the the family. And um, You guys just have such an amazing team here with Jeff and Kirk and Ben and Paul and EJ, the entire team. So it's always a joy and an honor to be here with you. I love what God is doing here at Mosaic. So, uh, it's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those and flip to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, We're going to be in Jeremiah 29 today, kind of a classic promise of God's. And as you guys flip there, I'd love to pray for us again. Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we can come together and and be your people gathered in these rooms and gathered uh, online um, in in living rooms and and bedrooms and dens and campsites across uh, the state. And, And Father, we thank you that we can open your word and you can speak to our hearts. Father, I pray, Lord, as Kirk just prayed, uh, Lord, we just lift up Jeff and Leslie and Garrett and, and Lauren to you, Lord, we love them so much, and ask you just give them peace, that your presence is with them during this difficult season, and that we have a, they just know that they have a church walking alongside them that love them so much. Father, we pray for the, that those families impacted in Puerto Rico and those families impacted in Florida from Hurricane Ian. And the Lord, as uh, they, they put back their, uh, their lives together and, and rebuild their homes and uh, figure out what lo- that next step looks like, Lord, I pray that you just surround them with people that love them. Uh, Lord, mobilize the churches down there just to, to care for them and give them exactly what they need uh, during this really difficult time. Father, I pray that your spirit is among us today, that you speak to us through your word, and that when we leave today, we look more like Jesus than we came. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, it's so good to be with you guys. I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself in these seasons of life where I'm always looking forward, and I, and I find myself saying, I just can't wait until fill in the blank. I mean, some of you guys might be in a season like that now. I just can't wait until the prices go down. I just can't wait until the economy rebounds. I just can't wait until I can afford to buy a house in Denver. I just can't wait until Ben Todd stops wearing Raiders gear to church. I mean, seriously, come on. Ben's out there somewhere. I know he is. He'll take a lesson from us. But I don't know, anybody been there recently? This summer, we had a chance to take a vacation out to Cape Cod and I was able to to lead a family wedding on the beach and it was just beautiful. Here's a picture of me and my crew out there on the beach and we had a great time. But it was one of those trips where we probably stayed a couple extra days. You you know what I mean? Like it sounds great to to go out of town for that long, but then you go and a couple days left, you're like, yeah, we probably should have cut this a little short. And I remember one day, a couple days left, my little five-year-old Chloe looks at me and she goes, Dad, I just can't wait to go home. And I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm ready too. So is the bank account. It's for sure ready to go home. When you guys hear that word home, what stirs up inside of you? So I think for a lot of us, when we hear the word home, we get this picture that flashes in our minds. And for some of us, it's an address. It's the address where you grew up. It's maybe the address where you live now. For others, it's a place. It's the place where you maybe scored your first touchdown or you had your first kiss or you fell in love. It's a thing, like the couch at grandma's house. I don't know about you guys, but that's it for me. It's that couch at grandma's house. I was home about a month ago back in Missouri to see my grandma and I totally took a nap again on that couch, hundreds of hours of naps on grandma's couch. What is home for you? You know, I, I think all of us, when, when we hear the word home, there's something stirs inside of us because we have a desire for home. The, the Pew Research Company did a survey. They surveyed 2,200 Americans. And here's what they found, that two out of five, 38%, said where they live now is not what they think of as home. That They think of the place that maybe they, they, they grew up. 26% said about a quarter of people. It was the home they were raised in. Like, there's something that stirs in us uh, about home. So, what defines home? What makes home so special? See, I think it's this I think it's rest. You know, the famous poet, Maya Angelou, she once wrote this The ache for home lives in all of us. The safe place where we go, we can go as we are and not be questioned. Isn't that what we love about home? That we can go home, we can put our feet up, we can drink the lemonade, we can watch the game, we can relax. Like, home is something that we were created for. But here's the question. Have you ever felt far from home? Like, some of you might be there now. You might say, you know what? I'm in a season right now, Drew, where I feel so far from home. Like, I feel like I just don't have that rest. If if you've been in the military across seas, you know what that feels like. You can write letters. You can send emails and pictures. But it just doesn't feel like home. Sometimes we feel stuck we just want to get home, but we can't reach it. There's a um, beautiful story in, in the scripture where we see God's people in this same season. In the book of 2 Kings, we see God's people far from home. They've been exiled. And, and no matter how hard they wanted to get home, no matter how much they, they wanted to find that rest, they, they couldn't because they were far from home. And so I, I want to dig into this today. I want to see that God, while, while he finds the, the, the people, um, his people far from home, that he gives them a promise. And it's that promise that you and I can hold on to as well in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bibles, grab those. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29. The book of Jeremiah, flip your Bible in half. If you're old school like me and you have a a hard copy of God's word, flip it in half. That's the book of Psalms. And then flip a couple books to your right uh, after Isaiah to the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have your Bible, pull out your phone. And I'd love to always see the warm glow of God's word on your faces as we read together. Let me frame this for you really quickly. Um, A couple weeks ago, Scott Pollock was here and he walked you through the greatest story to see how the the Bible is telling one story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. This beautiful story of God building a people, giving them community, and then teaching them how to live in that community to show them what's best. And and as we dive into this greatest story, we're probably in the middle. We're we're in 2 Kings is where we read what happened to God's people. So we had King David. Let's just kind of walk you through what happened. King David unites Israel. King David's son Solomon rises Israel to new heights. And then King Solomon's son Rehoboam takes some bad advice. And what happens is the kingdom splits. And so here's a map to show you what happens. At about 930 BC, you see that the kingdom splits. The northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, uh, the 10 northern tribes become Israel. And the, the southern kingdom, the, the tribes of, uh, Ju- of uh, Benjamin and Judah become the, the nation of Judah. And so uh, these two tribes split and God starts sending prophets to them saying, guys, you need, to, you need to, to listen to me. You need to start following me because you guys have gotten off path. Otherwise, something ugly is going to happen. And so a couple hundred years later, we see the Assyrians come in. The Assyrians actually uh, conquer uh, Israel. They take a good number of the people from Israel to Assyria and bring some Assyrians back. And that becomes known as the land of Samaria. And so about a hundred years later, there's a a country called Babylon. And their king is Nebuchadnezzar. Somebody say Nebuchadnezzar. It's a fun one to say. We can just call him Nebi. So Nebi and the Babylonians, they come in and they start conquering all of these little, these small countries in the Middle East. And they show up to Judah and they say, hey, king, pay us tribute, which means give us money. Give us a royalty, give us some tax, and we won't destroy you. And so the king is like, sure, that sounds like a good deal. So they start to get in line with the Babylonians for about three years. And then uh, what happens is basically the king decides he doesn't want to give money to Babylon anymore. And Babylon comes in and they beat him up a little bit. They take back some of the the young, bright minds of Judah at the time. Guys like Daniel, uh, Meshach, uh, Abednego. And and they take all these guys back and they take them to uh, Babylon. And they reinforce this idea of tribute. Well, things go okay for a little while, but then they start to rebel again. So now Nebuchadnezzar and his army comes in and they just, they just start to destroy Jerusalem. They come in, they build sieges around the city. They take 10,000 people back to Babylon. They take all the mighty men, all the warriors back. They take uh, all the gold. They take the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't open it because, you know, like Indiana Jones, their faces was melted off. But th- thankfully, they let it close and then they took it back to Babylon. And then they said, okay, guys, you're gonna do what we have to say. So things are not good. Things are not good with God's people. They put a figurehead king in. He does the same thing. He rebels. And in about 586 BC, Babylon comes in. They destroy the temple. They destroy the palace. They destroy all the nice homes over in Governor's Ranch. And they end up taking everybody left out back to Babylon. And they just leave a few people there to take care of the ground. And so imagine you're one of those people. Like imagine that you're a Jew And you grew up your entire life hearing that we are the people of God. We're the people that God rescued from Egypt. And now you're in Babylon, 900 miles away from home. And no matter how hard you wanna go home, no matter how much you long for home, there's nothing you can do. And you're just wondering like, God, where are you? I think some of you guys might know what that feels like. You, You might be in a place where you're like, God, where are you? Like, I, I thought I was yours. Like, you make all these beautiful promises to me, but I don't see you. Some of you might be like, God, I've been praying for months, and you haven't came through yet. Or, or God, you, you gave me this dream, but yet I don't get to do it. Like, God, are you there? Well, flashback to the people in Babylon. They, they start to hear these rumors from these prophets that, well, God's on his way. That God, he's he's going to conquer the Babylonians, and you're going to get to go home in two years. And of course, that's going to make you excited, right? Like, man, okay, I can do two years here. This is no big deal. And then a letter comes, and it's a letter that's addressed to the elders, and it's from a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest, and he was one of the prophets that God used to write to Israel and to the Jews to say, "Get back on track." And this letter comes, and you open this letter, and you're not really sure what to expect. And notice, here's what you read. Look with me, Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's look together, starting here in verse four. Notice what he says. He says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wait a second, hold on. God? you sent us here? Like, I thought it was the Babylonians. God's like, guys, you are in exile because I sent you there because of your sin. Like, it's a consequence of sin. Some of us right now, we might feel like we're in exile. It could be that God's allowing some consequences of our sin to happen because he wants to change our hearts, to shape our hearts, to trim us, to turn our eyes back to him. That's what he's doing here. And so he says, guys, I sent you into exile. But notice what he says. While you're in exile, verse five, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives or take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What what, what is God saying here to these Jews in exile? He's saying, guys, live your life. Like, don't just sit there and wait, live. There's a great quote by um, a former French saint. His name was St. Francis uh, Desai, and he was quoted as this, and you guys know this quote, bloom where you're planted, right? Bloom where you're planted. And we love the sound of that, right? Sounds good on a coffee mug, little Instagram post Saturday morning, right? Got your Bible out, a cup of coffee. Bloom where you're planted. It's a lot harder to do. And so imagine now, you, you're, you're a Jew in Babylon and God's writing to you saying, hey guys, I know you're far from home, but I want you to bloom where you're planted. So I don't know about you guys, but I find that I have this problem. It's just probably just me. It's probably not you. But, but I find I have this problem where I'm always thinking three, four, five steps ahead. I mean, anybody else like that? Like you have trouble living in the here and now. You're always thinking that someday when I get there, when, when this happens. And the problem is, is you're never actually able to live your life. You're never actually able to bloom where you're planted. And imagine, I'm imagining God's people in this moment are going, okay, he's gonna come back in just a couple years. Let's just wait it out. And God says, no guys, listen, while you're here, I want you to build houses and I want you to do all of these things. I want you to bloom where you're planted. One of the beautiful themes that we see in God's word. And I think this is the important part of stepping back like we did with Scott a couple weeks ago and looking at God's word start to finish is because you begin to see that these, there's these themes and these threads that we need to pull at. And I think one of them is this, is that God is always trying to build a home for his people. God is constantly trying to build a home for his people. As you begin to pull up these themes and threads, you're going to see this. I, mean, I want you to go back to the book of Genesis, very beginning. What does God do? God creates Adam. He, he creates everything. He creates the universe. He sets it all in motion. He, he creates purpose. He gives it all meaning. He creates Adam and Eve and he places them in the garden, the garden of Eden. And it's in this garden that God's going to make their home. God's going to be with them. His presence is going to be near in this home. If you remember back to, to Genesis 12, Abraham, a guy named Abe and, and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, God, God takes them and he calls them and he says, guys, I want you to follow me to the place I'm going to send you. And that's going to be your new home. So leave the land of Ur and follow me to Canaan because that's going to be your new home. Like we see all Time and time again, that God is giving people a home. When God uh, sends Moses to go rescue the people of Israel from Egypt, what does he say? I'm going to send you across the river to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised your forefathers. That's going to be home. While Israel's wandering in the wilderness, God gives them the designs to build the tabernacle. I know know Scott Pollock talked about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was going to be the place where God was going to reside with his people. It was going to be the reinstitution of the Garden of Eden, heaven on earth. God was saying, I am going to give you a new, what church? Home. And then God tells Joshua, take my people across the Jordan to the promised land. And that's going to be their new home. God gives Solomon the plans to build the temple, the place where God's gonna reside with his people in their new church home. So God is always trying to remind us that he is constantly trying to bring his people together into community. God is building a home. There's this running theme that God has wired home inside of us. Yet, there's another theme here. There's another thread that we need to pull at and it's this. That God also uses exile to reveal our desire for something better. That God uses exile to reveal that where we're trying to build our home, where we're trying to, to grow, where we're trying to do our own thing, that that is not the right path because God is the one that is building a home for us. So I want you to go back. Go back to Genesis 2 in the garden. You see Adam and Eve, and God puts them in the garden. He's walking with them. This is this beautiful relationship. But then there's an enemy, the deceiver comes and goes, did God really say? Are you sure? I don't think you understand, because God knows if you eat of that tree, then you're going to have your eyes open to be like God. And they go, I love that idea. I want to build my own home. God, I don't like your plan as much. And what happens? They rebel against God. They sin, and God says, guys, I love you. I'm sorry, but you have to leave the garden. Adam and Eve get exiled from the garden. After the flood, you see that God tells Noah and his family to go ahead and and multiply and move and make homes and and, and populate the earth, rule the earth. And what does the people do? They, They build a tower. They say, we're not moving. We're gonna build our own home again. And they build a tower. Do you guys remember where they built that tower? Babel. Hold on to that for a second. And so God says, guys, Like, seriously, you guys aren't listening. You need to go build your home. And he scatters them, he changes their language, and he sends them around the world to to build their new homes. And then we see that the people of Israel here in the book of Jeremiah and the second Kings, and they're again trying to build their own home. They're trying to do it their own way. And God says, Again, I'm going to have to use exile to shape your hearts. And so God sends them to Babylon. Isn't it funny? that the place where they wanted to build their own home in Babel, God used those people to exile the Jews when they weren't listening again. It came full circle. God wants to use exile to help shape our hearts, to show us that there is something better out there. And, and so, so, so God is, is, is writing this to J- Jeremiah, uses Jeremiah's pen to write this to the people to say, guys, stop trying to build it your own way. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Trust me, I've got the right plan. And and so here's what he's saying. If you're taking notes, God is saying this. Live out your faith and be present in the community around you, no matter where you're planted. You might be in Babylon. You might be in Judea. You might be in Denver. You might be in Littleton. You might be somewhere that's not home. that doesn't feel like home in exile. And you feel like you're just living in a valley of dry bones. But God says, live out your faith and be present no matter where you're planted. Don't sit and wait. See, notice what he says in Jeremiah 29, verse five through seven again. Just look back at this. This is so good. He says, build houses, plant gardens, have babies, have grandbabies, volunteer, get in the community, pray for the city that you live in. He says, get involved and live out your faith in the community you're planted in. I was listening to a TED Talk recently about the island of Sardinia. It's, a, it's off the coast of Italy. It's this beautiful island. It's a picture of a place that I'm sure you're going to want to go on vacation to. It's gorgeous. And What they found in this island, there's more people over 100 years old than any other place in the world. And so researchers went in. They wanted to find out why. Like, why are there so many people who are healthy and over 100 years old? And here's what they found out. That nobody sits at home mindlessly scrolling Insta while they're watching Longmire for the fourth time on Netflix, right? Like, no, they're out. They're having coffee, which, by the way, I think leads to a good life, you know? So I had to go to Broken Pieces just a few minutes ago. It was really good. Like, there's something about getting out and being in community with people that is God's plan for us, that leads to flourishing, that leads to a long life, that leads to healthy habits, and all these really beautiful things. So God is saying to his people, guys, get out and do life. One of the the coolest things about church history is you read about how the uh, Christianity flourished in Roman culture. And uh, if you guys know anything about uh, Roman culture, it was ugly. It was messy. You had this pagan worship and all kinds of sick stuff going on around it. And then you see the church uh, begin to to, to get planted in in all these cities around the Roman world. And um, over time, you begin to see the church take over. And you begin to see people getting saved like crazy. And a lot of uh, scholars and and historians have wondered what happened. And, And there's been a lot of research that settled on this. It was actually Christian marriage that changed it. Did you guys know this? So in, in Roman culture, men and women got married basically just to have a family and have kids and have an heir. But there was no love, there was no relationship. Men and women each had somebody else. It was really messy. But yet, these, these Christian these people are getting saved and God's word says, husbands love your wives like Jesus loved the church and wives, love your husbands and respect and honor them. And people started to figure out that actually works. And people, people are going out and they're actually holding hands at the movies and sharing a Coke, right? They're they're actually walking down the street and laughing and having fun together. And people are going, what's that about? Well, it's this Jesus thing that's going on. And people are thinking, that actually works. And we see that Christianity spreads like wildfires through the Roman world because people saw it modeled. See, I want you to to think about what God is saying here. God God is, is saying something that like when we step out into our communities, no matter where we're at, you might not feel at home at all. But when we step out and live life and pray for the city and get involved, that God does something amazing. Like when we bloom where we're planted and build houses and plant gardens and have babies, that God's going to bless that and and it's going to infiltrate culture. So God says, bloom where you're planted. Invite people over for dinner. Invite people over to watch the Chiefs beat the Raiders tomorrow night. Like get involved. I, I love what what Jeremiah 29 7 says. It says, pray for the welfare of your city. That word welfare means shalom. Somebody say shalom. Shalom Shalom means peace and completeness and wholeness. Pray for the completeness and the wholeness of your city. Mosaic, are you guys doing that? Are you praying for Denver? Are you praying for Littleton? Are you praying for Colorado? Are you praying for America? For the wholeness. For God to move. For the wellness. So Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah says, guys, live where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Notice this what he says in verse 10. Notice this. This is where the story gets to be not so fun. He says this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Hold on a second. Wait. What? I mean, just imagine you're reading that. Like you had just heard these prophets say that God's going to come back in two but Jeremiah says 70. You're like, hold on, Jeremiah, I don't like that much. Like, did you mean 70 days? 70 weeks? I could even get behind 70 months. But 70 years? Like, I'm not even going to be alive in 70 years. So what, what's going on? And I think what we're seeing here is, is God saying this. I sent you into exile in Babylon to teach you a lesson, to shape your hearts, to rid you of this idolatry and failing to trust me. And you have to trust my timing because I know when it's time to send you back. I know when you're ready. But while I'm shaping you, learn to patiently trust me and live your life now. Bloom where you're planted. See, I think sometimes we, we see God doing something in our life, God stirring us up, and we get really excited about it. And so we're leaning in. We're like, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. But then we look back two months, two years later, and we're like, God, where are you? I thought you were up to something. And God, like, God says, I am. Patiently trust. You know, one of the things I like to say at Forefront all the time is that it might seem like God's always late, but God's never late. It might seem like God's always late, but God's rarely early, but he's always on time. And I think this is one of the things that God's trying to teach his people. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to take you back when it's time. But it's going to be on my timing. And here's the, here's the reality. He's trying to rid of us, us of our self-reliance and our pride. And what, what this exile did for the Jews when they did go back 70 years later under Ezra and Nehemiah, they never fell into idolatry and false worship again. They made some other mistakes. I'm sure you guys are gonna learn about that in your Luke series, but they never fell back into idolatry again. God used exile to shape their hearts. And I think there's a bigger picture for us here too. See, the reality is that God wants us to see that as citizens of heaven, as people who have said yes to Jesus, that we are part of the kingdom of heaven. And that means that this world is always going to feel a little bit not like home that this world's always gonna feel a little bit wrong, that there's something missing. And that's the Holy Spirit in us, stirring us up to see that God has something better for us. But here's the beauty, Mosaic. When you say yes to Jesus, you don't have to wait for that new home that someday, it starts today. Because when Jesus stepped out of heaven and stepped into this earth to live a sinless life, to meet the standard we couldn't meet, when Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for us and rose from the grave to defeat death, What he's saying is that I am giving you the new way home. And that new way home is only found by following me. And if you learn to trust me and follow my word, then I'm going to teach you how to be at home here and bloom where you're planted and change this world from the inside out. It's like what Peter says in the book of 1 Peter, that we are citizens of heaven, exiles in a foreign land. But God has called us to something more beautiful. So notice Jeremiah Jeremiah has written to them saying, guys, wait patiently on me. And then here, look at verse 11. This is the famous verse. This is the, the, one, of the, one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. Notice what he says. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for warfare, welfare, not warfare, welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Man, this is one of the best promises in the Bible. Any of you guys got this on a coffee cup at home or like a wall hanging? A couple of you. One guy in the back's like, oh yeah, I got that on my wall. Like, it's a great promise, right? It's like one of the best in the entire Bible. It's also one of the most misunderstood. So I want to unfold it for you. I want to enrich it for you guys today. It's one of the best promises in the entire Bible. I think here's the danger. And when we just pull this verse out and read it in a vacuum, because when I read this verse, I'm like, man, that sounds good. Right? Like God has a plan for me. I love it. God wants welfare for me. Yes, I knew you did, God. God, you have a hope for my life. Uh, thank you, God. I know you do. And we hear that we read that and we're like this is exactly what I knew what God was doing. But then so, sometimes we read this in a, in a vacuum and we go we, we forget verses 5 through 10 or what's going to come in verse 12 through 14. And, and what we begin to think is that God is telling us that he never wants us to go through suffering. That God never wants us to endure hard times. And we begin to, to think that, well, it's all about my faith. So if I'm going through a hard season right now, and let's say my marriage is struggling, or I'm going through a hard season right now financially, or I'm waiting on the, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting on my health, right? I'm going through chemo treatments, and all of a sudden I'm, th- I'm reading this verse and I'm going, okay, God, you don't want me to suffer, so I just need to have enough faith. So I'm just going to muster up enough faith. What happens when the divorce does finalize? And I found out that the cancer is still there, or I lose my home because I had to go, I couldn't make my payments. See, when that happens, we end up going, well, God, did I not have enough faith? Like, like, God, are you there? Like, God, I thought you promised me you had a future for me and a hope. Where are you? And sometimes it even causes us to walk away from Jesus entirely. See, I think that's what we have to understand, and we have to be able to understand what God is saying in context. He's writing to a group of Jews in exile who are going to be in exile for 70 years, saying, Guys, I have a future for you. But here's my promise. But we got to get it to verse 12 to see how it works. Look at verse 12. He says this Remember, I have a hope, a future, and welfare. Then, when's then? Now. Then you will be able to call upon me and come and pray to me. It means, God, I'm here. Like right now, you're in exile, I'm here with you. He says, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and then gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. God is saying that I have a plan for you, but while you're here, I am with you. I have a plan for you, but while you're here, I am here and I will hear your prayers and I'll walk by with you and I will never be more than an arm's reach away and my presence will be near all the time. And then one day, when the time is ready, I'm gonna send you back. So I think sometimes, guys, we, 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 get, in this, we get in this process where we think that, that it's all about the strength of our own faith. That God, you're gonna come through for me if I just believe enough. That God, if I'm going through a hard season, it must be because I'm doubting. It could it just be that you're going through some consequences of sin. See, here's a beautiful reality that I want to I want to just drill home, okay guys? Is that in Ephesians chapter 2 Paul says this, that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not works. That we are saved by grace through faith. That means that when we believe in who the Bible says Jesus is, that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who came and gave his life for us, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and gave us life. When we believe that, that is our faith in Christ and it's God's grace that saves us. We are saved by grace through faith. Somebody say grace through faith. Guys, this means that when you're in a hard season, it doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith is, you are saved by grace through faith. This means when you guys are dealing with some health issues or financial issues or relationship issues, it's not your faith that's going to rescue you. It's the grace of God that has rescued you because you've already put your faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? You can have a moment, a season, a difficult time where you feel far from home, but our faith is in Jesus. And it's God's grace that has saved us and rescued us. And that grace promises that he will never leave us and never forsake us and always be with us. And so we can be encouraged when we feel like we're in exile or we feel like we are far from home. See, I think there's a reality I want us to see here, guys, is this, that God is writing this promise, yes, to to the Jews in exile in Babylonian 2,600 years ago, but it still can be true for us today. If you take a notes, while not all of God's promises are written to us, most often the principle is true, still true for us. But we have to understand the promise. Here's the reality, guys. The principle here that God has a future for you, let me ask you, did Jesus come and give his life for us? Does Jesus have a beautiful plan for his church? Does Jesus want what's best for you? Has God created the plan that's going to show you how to live a life that honors him and that has built relationships and leads you to the best place of richness and flourishing and hope? Yes. So the principle for this is still true for us today. God has a plan for us. But wherever we are, whenever we feel like we're in exile, God is still with us. And here's the beautiful reality is that God's promising that his thoughts are always going and moving towards us. love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Notice this. He says this, that the Lord not only thinks of you, but towards you. His thoughts are all drifting your way. I want you to just let that sink in for a second. This means that that God doesn't just say, oh, well, Kirk, I'm glad Kirk's part of my team. Great. That God is, is thinking about Kirk He wants what's best for Kirk. His thoughts are drifting towards Kirk. It's like this, as we think about the Bell family, as we think about Jeff and Leslie and Lauren and Garrett, if you guys are driving in your car this week and you think of of Jeff, and you're like, man, I hope Jeff's doing good. I hope Jeff and Lauren are are really doing well. And and, and I hope Leslie and Garrett are really having a good week. You're, you're, You're thinking about them, and that's good. That's really good. But what if we didn't stop there? What if when we thought about them, we picked up our phone and we sent them a message, hey, love you guys, praying for you. What if we sent them a gift card to you know, their, their favorite restaurant? We sent them a gift card to Olive Garden. Hey guys, go out and have dinner. We love you guys, thinking about you. Thinking about somebody is great, but letting our thoughts drift towards them, letting our thoughts be for their good. Think of how God can use that. It goes so much further. God thinks of you that same way. Like God's his his thoughts are drifting towards you. So as as we gather to close here, I just want to ask this question. Where do you feel like right now in your life that you're far from home? Like where do you feel like you're in exile? Where do you feel like you're just in this season of dryness? And, And could it be that you're waiting on God to move, but yet you're not doing anything about it? Could it be you're living in a place where you're waiting on God to answer your prayers, but you're just sitting at home hoping that he's going to knock on your door? And could God be saying to you today, bloom where you're planted. Get out and live and get involved because I've got you here where you are right now for a reason. A couple weeks ago, I was talking with a buddy, really wise, godly person, and we were talking about how... Sometimes we mix up this idea of identity, calling, and the assignment God gives us. And so often, I don't know about you guys, but so often I think we find our identity in the things that we do, in the places that we live, in the things that we're good at, and our friends. But when we find ourselves in a season when some of those things aren't great, we start to question our identity. We start to go on this quest to figure out who we really are. And I think we get it backwards. See, see, what if, what if we began to see our identity and who God created us to be? That we began to see that our identity was that we are sons and daughters of God, created to have a relationship with each other and with our heavenly father. And that our calling, our calling is what we're good at. It's what God has gifted us with. It's the things we're passionate about. And our assignment, well, it's where God has planted us right now. See, I don't know if that means for you, but I know what it means for me. It means that, that my identity is not lead pastor at Forefront Church. That my identity is that I am the, the freed, forgiven, redeemed, rescued son of God, forgiven of all of my past sins, forgiven of all of my future mistakes, and freed to set walk in the newness of life that Jesus gives me and that means that I am on my path home and that my calling is just the passion things I'm passionate for and the things that God has given me and that my assignment right now it's Forefront Church what does that mean for you your identity is what God has created you to be and he's gifted you with a beautiful calling and right now he's just asking you to bloom where you're planted and imagine how we could change this culture in Littleton in Denver and Colorado if we were people that built houses and planted gardens and did it to the glory of God. Mosaic, let's be people like that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the words of Jeremiah today and the challenge, Lord, that you have this beautiful plan for us, a beautiful future and a beautiful hope, but it's on your timing. And it might not be two years. It might not be two months. But we know, Lord, that you are good. And that you are good all the time. Father, I pray for anybody in the room today that's walking through a pretty dry season, who feels far from home, who feels like they're in exile. And help them to see, Lord, that you are with them, that your promise to to Jeremiah, that principle, to to the people uh, through Jeremiah, that principle is true for us today. That you are here when we call for you that we will find you when we seek you, that you want us to bloom where we're planted and live here in the now, knowing that we have a beautiful future ahead of us and that you, have le- you are leading us on the path home. Father, I pray, if there's anybody here today or tuning in online that has never said yes to Jesus, that today you help them to, to see in their hearts, you speak through their spirit to help them to see that there is nothing they're ever gonna do to feel that feeling of home while they're here, But that it's only through you, by saying yes to you, by saying yes to Jesus, that we can find our way home. By recognizing that Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And that when we say yes, you put us on the path of life. And that doesn't start someday, that starts today. So Father, stir us up to be your people, to be the salt and be the light you've called us to be. And help us to spread that light everywhere we go. And in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com give. Have a great week.